I have no idea where that music came from. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 118. As I turn this on, they added a music button for hosts. So we are learning as we go along. I'm going to go ahead and add my co-host, JD. Again, my name is Bob Akairi. I'm going to be joined by my regular co-host, JD Moore. We'd love to hear from you. It's Tuesday. There's so much going on. 24 FBS programs have had coaching changes. 10 bowl games have been played. One bowl game is being played right now. Who's winning in all of this? America. America's winning. That's who. So again, hit request. We'd love to talk to you. JD, have you made it up here? Yeah, we have made it up here. It is, in fact, a wonderful day for America with college football happening on our screens right now. And, of course, we now have a full slate on the coaching carousel. Uh, don't believe at this point there are any more open positions for head coaching. We are now just waiting out for the announcing of coordinators, of special uh, teams coaches, of assistants. Uh, it kind of seems like the carousel has finally stopped. I know we normally typically get, you know, like a January surprise or something else like that along the way. But, you know, for now, it seems like the carousel is now stopped spinning. And Bobak, you know, it's been a wild ride, as it always is every single season. What has stood out to you so far in this cycle with all these 24 positions now taken? I think the most surprising one to me is still Trent Dilfer. I mean, not counting, obviously, the tragedy with Mike Leach. That, that's its own category in and of itself. But in terms of hiring, UAB, you know, losing uh, Bill Clark to, for health reasons at, before the season began and going through all of that and coming out with Trent Dilfer, it's certainly the most interesting one in the sense that I think UAB might not have had the conversation it would have had. It wouldn't have been in as many conversations had they not made such a out-of-left-field hire. But... Second to that, I, I'm maybe going with Deion Sanders, but to me, Dilfer is is the more interesting one, only because it was so radically unexpected. Dion, somebody was going to get him eventually. I think there's some surprise that he chose Colorado, or and there's some logical explanations for that as well. But I think that one surprised me the most. How about you, JD? Uh, I think you are definitely right with Trent Dilfer to UAB. I think you're definitely right with Deion Sanders to Colorado. Uh, you know, I'm going to go still, though. I think the one that surprised me the absolute most was Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. I thought it was kind of clear at this point that, you know, Luke Fickle was just going to hold out for the Ohio State job at this point. But for him to come out of nowhere for the Wisconsin job, especially with, you know, it had been so galvanized that they were doing the Barry Alvarez model for the last 30-plus years, and that was the model that had succeeded at Wisconsin. And for them to go, you know what, Luke Fickle, and he's going to run the show however he wants. Jim Leonard, no longer a part of that program. I thought that was by far and away, at least in terms of shock value, because you know you can change a couple of the names. Like, yes, you mentioned that Deion Sanders was going to go somewhere. I think it's a surprise that Colorado ended up being the one getting him. But him going up to a Power 5 program, don't think that's necessarily a shock. Trent Dilfer going to UAB, yes, that name individually is a shock. But, you know, UAB uh, trustees trying to kill the Blazers program once again with going with something just completely out of left field, not necessarily out of character. For Wisconsin to go so far out of character and end up landing such a huge hire for them, I think that still is probably the higher of this cycle and definitely the most shocking one, at least for me. You know, I do wonder, was that something where do you think they made a reach and somehow were surprised they got some interest back and then it kind of, <laughs> you know, the momentum immediately carried. They're like, oh my gosh, he said he might be considering it. And, you know, next thing you know, they make that hire. 
I wonder. We'll probably hear more eventually as time goes on. You know, I was just looking at the current because right now, I mean, the Boca Raton Bowl is going on. Uh, Toledo has a you know, it's it's in the fourth quarter. It's only thirteen seven Toledo over Liberty. I mean, obviously Liberty. I don't think Hugh Freeze is coaching this game. It's just interesting to me to watch how that season's ended for them. They started eight and one with only loss being at a ranked Wake Forest, and then you know they they were on a three game losing streak when Auburn made their found their man, and it looks like they might be on their way to another loss. Certainly, this offense looks super anemic, which isn't necessarily something we've seen from Liberty, uh, even in even in many of their losses this season. But um, yeah. we'll see how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with Liberty, I mean, we talk about surprising coaching hires. I don't think anybody had Jamie Chadwell to Liberty uh, on their bingo board, at least at the start of the year. I think a lot of people thought he might go to a Georgia Tech-type job or somewhere else on the East Coast. Uh, but for Liberty to swipe in, and I think it was for $4 million a year, uh, I don't think the number from Liberty was necessarily that surprising. They were paying Hugh Freed something like $5 million a year. Uh, but for Jamie Chadwell you know, to do his step up, to go from Coastal Carolina, which a lot of people expected him to go, to some new program, the fact that Liberty ended up being the winner of that sweepstakes, I think that was another very big surprise. And I'm very curious to see what happens with him because we also got to talk about the other elephant in the room. There's been so much activity in the transfer portal in these last couple of weeks, and especially with guys like Grayson McCall uh, now out and uh, on the portal looking for a new team. A couple reports that Florida might be the head uh, program for him to go to. We've seen a couple of moves like Devin Leary going from North Carolina State to Kentucky. We saw news earlier today of one of the Brockenmeyer twins going from Alabama back home to the DFW area, taking a role at TCU, which also has been absolutely killing it in this transfer portal cycle. Uh, there's been a lot of really massive moves so far in the transfer portal, and especially when you consider how much turmoil you've had with coaches, changing off on different different teams uh i'm really really curious to see what's going to happen with all these other guys who are going to try to fit in and fill all these other roles that we're going to see right now across the country absolutely you know you see and by the way before i keep talking because you guys are hearing a lot of me i want to welcome any of you who want to join the conversation just hit request we'd love to have you on and hear your thoughts on what's going on in college football because obviously there's always a lot and we're in the middle of bowl season but going back to what we were just talking about you know, it's fun to see the indirect comments by coaches. You know, I think today, um, was it Mac Brown? There was, you see this cycle of coaches complaining about people making plays on their star players and trying to lure them away. Yeah. Pardon me. It was uh, Pitt, uh, Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi said uh, to a radio station that he's heard two schools offered UNC quarterback Drake May $5 million to transfer. He won't say who. But he knows who. And, you know, I remember earlier we, we heard um, trainer at UTSA make the same comment that people are making plays on their players. Part of me is like it's something they all like to do. It's a bit of posing. It feels like to say, you know, we're don't poach my players. But at the same time, you know, if they had the ability to poach, they probably would. And, it, and if anything, it's like the head coaching market. They could leave it any second themselves so it it to me the portal has made it a little more even uh for some of these players especially seeing their head coach who they might have committed to the program not because less for the name of the program but for the head coach may allow them to kind of follow and move with them of course you know clearly 
Caleb Williams proved that that can be extremely beneficial to to your career and to your national hype level, which is already high at Oklahoma and just you know went through the roof at USC. So we'll we'll see if we'll see more of that. You know, we have someone who's joined us. We'd love to hear from you. the The civilized choice. What's going on? Uh, not much. Uh, good evening. First of all, first time in the uh, space. So thank you for having me. Uh, just to piggyback on your last uh, statement, I saw a tweet from the head coach from the University of San Antonio, University of Texas, San Antonio, uh, saying that uh, Power Five conferences have been poaching from his uh, younger players in his program. So it's kind of leaking down to uh, the, you know, champions of the smaller conferences as well, you know, trying to lure those players that might pull somebody up from mediocrity to challenge it. So I feel that point right there. Now, the other thing that I have, I have an interesting Mike Leach story. I know everybody's been, uh, you know, uh, sharing their memories I never met the man in person, but I did get the chance to work at Iowa Westland 10 years, uh, about eight to 10 years after him and how mummy came through. So basically I got all the backstories and the reasons why things weren't going well there. And they said, uh, basically the pirate was the pirate, just very eccentric, very uh, charismatic and very creative on offense. They, I remember they uh, had the uh, record books out, and every team from their era there had some kind of offensive record. So uh, he did it for a long time on different levels. And, you know, I just, you know, after following behind him, you know, I just followed his career and hoped I just got one chance to meet him and never did. You know, it's amazing, though. Like, I love hearing that, you know, you got to follow his legacy at Iowa Wesleyan. It is clear that Mike Leach touched a lot of different people, even if he didn't individually meet them. Of course, his memorial service was today at Mississippi State. But I would love to hear more about what you did at Iowa Wesleyan and some of those stories uh, that you had heard about him. Well, I was a receivers coach then. Uh, So that was actually my first job. Uh, my first fo- coaching job, uh, about 2003. So I think he had moved on to Texas Tech at that time. So a lot of the stories were about how him and Mummy refused to uh, live on the NAIA budget, <clears throat> to say the least. So the main one, you know, we wondered why we had to travel buses everywhere and, you know, take these 10, 12 hours and they would pull out receipts from when they were flying into cities and then bussing back into these backwater towns and stuff. And it was like they broke the program. <laughs> and that was the funniest part about it. But they were in playoffs. They loved they loved the fact that they were in the playoffs, that they would had all these great athletes, that they were doing all this great stuff. But the money, <laughs> it was all about the money, even on the, on the NAIA level. So, you know. I love that. That is like a you know, an FBS budget uh, for an NAIA team, which is, <laughs> yeah, no, they're not going to maintain that. I played D2. I, I played at Lane College, and we bust everywhere. 
you know, busting was when the coaches started complaining about uh, why are we busting? I looked at them like, what do you mean? Why are we busting? I was totally comfortable with it. So, you know, and then to hear the stories about why we can't do it, it was like, oh, wow. <laughs> so it, it, it was funny because my comfort level was on a different level than everybody else I was coaching with. They had all came from uh, how I had my uh, actually I had one of mommy's disciples, uh, one of his centers uh, was the, my offensive coordinator. I had my head coaches from Central Arkansas, but that was before they actually went uh, in the NCAA and D1. And then, let's see, I had another. My quarterback's coach was from Eastern Illinois. So they were all used to a little bit better accommodations. I wasn't worried about it. (laughs) I love all of that man like especially like you know you're coming out of a school like lane out of from the SEAC, and then you're now in iowa wesleyan as an assistant especially in a wide receiver role uh where you're following up mm-hmm. on the uh legacies of hal mummy and mike yes. leach and all that kind of stuff what was and your running the air running pure oh not yes. not anything watered down it was headed down from mummy and uh, leech themselves like you could still see their handwriting in the book it was like it, it was like one of them uh, coaching God moments like oh I still have it somewhere I just don't know where I put it that's the problem <laughs> I can imagine there was such a huge legacy for you, and especially for that being your first coaching gig, for you to have to live up to that type of legacy. What were some of the things that you learned on the job because of that impact? Well, it was how to change on the fly uh, because we had actually brought in this kid from Washington State. Uh, was supposed to be a big-time upgrade, a QB, but he didn't know how to get rid of the ball. So he took a a few shots too many and he was out for most of the year. So basically we went from having a six, five, 210 pound quarterback that could actually run the offense. If he gets rid of the ball to a five, 10, uh, 195 pound, basically running back with an arm. That is a dynamic changing difference. I imagine that scheme also had to change a whole lot. I mean, you're probably going from wide open air raid to uh, a different kind of scheme concept. Uh, What kind of uh, game planning did you have to do around that? Uh, Until week eight, it was screens, a lot of mesh, a lot of, uh, how would, okay, screens, mesh. Uh, We try to get them roll out and probably run a lot of, Sale concept, you know, why sell things like that, but eventually they just went back to what he ran in high school. He had never been a passing quarterback, so they went back to the uh smokestack eye formation. And guess who was left with no receivers? <laughs> I can take three guesses, and I'm sure the first two ain't gonna count. Oh, yep, you'll be there. So for the last like for the last two weeks of the season, I actually was kind of like the I went back to like the scout team uh 
coordinator, just making sure they got good looks. But we weren't we weren't passing for nothing. <laughs> Wasn't trying to pass. And it was that that was kind of like a big dynamic change because you go from you come out there in the summer and you're just throwing the ball everywhere and you get you know you're you're looking at all these different concepts and you're trying to install and then week 10 you're in the snow at the University of St. Xavier in Chicago getting your brains beat in because you can't throw the ball (laughs) man that is great I love all of this you know thank you so much for sharing that and you know I think you're right about that UTSA thing I know JD and I were kind of talking about that earlier um, and, and just watching these reactions. And, and Jeff Trainer, that, that head coach, he's a great guy. We had him, you know, as a guest on one of our talks earlier in the season. But I, he's got to say that, though, because, again, you always wonder if suddenly one of their, you know, if a G5 suddenly gets some just wildly rich alumnus, suddenly fund an NIL fund that can make them compete with everybody and anybody. You know, <laughs> then I don't know if they'd be quite complaining quite as much. But, yeah, it's it's a tricky business, although you feel a little bit good for some of the players, although it's got to be tough for some others. Like, watch, you're, you've got a great offense, you're excited about your team, and then your star player gets blocked away. You know, that's got to be your teammate. That's got to be a bit difficult. Very heart-wrenching. And, I mean, I've been out of college for about, five years now so I've been on the high school level for the past two and I can tell some of my players come back and they're like I just don't feel like I'm getting my best shot son you've only been there for five minutes absolutely Absolutely. and I do also want to throw one last thing out there before we move on from Jeff trailer um certainly appreciate the fact that you know he's coming out and he's making accusations we've seen kind of the same from some of these power five coaches like Pat Narduzzi uh, but I'm going to throw a challenge out to any coach who wants to claim tampering. Come out with receipts. Name a name. Name a program. Give us something juicy about who actually is trying to tamper with your guys. Who's trying to pay $5 million for your quarterback. Give us some names. Give us the content. Exactly. We want drama. Let's make it interesting for all of us. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Spill the tea, damn it. Anyway, was... Uh... Yeah, it was great hearing from you, man. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, Caden, what's up? You've been patient. Hey, what's up, guys? Shout out JD, fellow Bob Schieffer, School of Communication alumni myself. Let's go. Um, Really excited for the playoff, obviously, but with news of Max Duggan entering the NFL draft, um, I guess more so a question for JD. What are your thoughts on the quarterback situation going into the next, next football season? Um, I really like Sam Jackson a lot. I really hope he doesn't transfer. Um, really wanted to get your take on if you think we're going to get Hudson Carter, someone else out of the portal, or what direction you think we ought to go with the quarterback position heading into next year. Yeah, absolutely. Love this question because I love the intrigue that you've got around this position. I think first and foremost, more than anything else, I think this is Chandler Morris's job to lose. Uh, and the fact that Max Duggan is no longer going to be on the roster for next year, he's going on 
in his NFL draft. Uh, shout out to him. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't think he's necessarily going to be like a first round draft pick or anything else like that. But, you know, my man has studied Andy Dalton up and down and seen you can make $10 million a year holding a clipboard. We call that financial finesse. You learned that at the Neely School of Business. And you absolutely can make a nice little career out of that. Now, that being said, you got to remember, at the start of this year, Chandler Morris was the starter. We didn't have Max Duggan as the starter, as the Heisman runner-up, as this guy who's going to take TCU to the playoff. Uh, so I think immediately Chandler Morris is probably that favorite in the clubhouse for TCU. Love the athleticism of Sam Jackson. Love the ability that he has to take the ball and run and bring that different dimension of the offense out there. But knowing the offense that Sonny Dykes thrives in is that air raid derivative where you have a guy who can pass and then run second. I think Sam Jackson kind of goes more into that run first, kind of more like a Trayvon Boykin, uh, if you're going to go a little bit back to another TCU quarterback. Uh, so I think if we're going to look for who's probably going to be the starter, at least on paper, uh, starting out in spring football, I imagine Chandler Morris has to be the guy. Um, and then, you know, Hudson Card certainly could be a transfer to TCU. I've heard some rumors that he wants to stay in the state of Texas. I don't have enough evidence or uh, at least high enough sourcing to say it one way or the other. Uh, but, you know, we saw Shane Bouchelle uh, really kind of reinvent himself at SMU under Sonny Dykes. I'm sure there's going to be some transfer quarterback uh, who could come in and make a huge impact at TCU. Uh, but if I had to pick right now, I think it's probably going to be Chandler Morris. Feels like a really good spot to come as a transfer, just with all the talent that we have outside. I mean, healthy Quincy Brown next year, Jordan Hudson, getting some of these transfer guys in, Besh from LSU, um, just to name a couple. But it's been a crazy, crazy couple of days with recruiting, seeing TCU signing all these uh, top-tier recruits and, and transfer pickups. So I uh, love what you guys do. Um, been, been a fan of your work for a long time, ever since you've been at TCU 360. So thanks so much, JD. Have a good one, brother. Go for all. Hey, thank you so much, man. Appreciate you, Caden. Absolutely. Hey, Christian, you've been really patient. What's going on? What's up, Reddit College Football and JD? Um, I know this topic is kind of old, but uh, it's still one that really interests me. Is um, probably conference realignment. I think we can all agree that the Sun Belt has become that perennial non-power five conference but i think the uh the american conference kind of lost their chance there i feel like if i was the american conference i would have went after some bigger, bigger name group of five schools probably like a boise state tried to make an actual like maybe it would it wouldn't have been geographically big but i think we've realized that geographics don't really matter anymore especially with two california schools in the big 10 but i mean in the um, yeah, in the Big Ten. But um, I was thinking, like, why wouldn't the American Conference go after some schools like Boise State, some of those Western schools, um, some of the, the good USA schools probably try to poach a couple of Sun Belt schools. I was wondering why they didn't go after, probably try to go after, try to keep their name as the, the non-Power 5 conference. So I think in terms of at least conference realignment, I think a lot of the American conference wanted to stay in that southeastern-ish 
profile, which is why you kind of see them going after teams like Rice and Charlotte and UTSA and FAU and all these other different programs that are in the South and East. Not necessarily, I think, for, you know, football quality or, uh, you know, national name recognition, but the ability to really kind of be honed in on, number one, major metroplexes. That was a huge reason that they ended up going with those kinds of schools because, you know, you got Rice located directly in Houston, which is a top five population in the country. You've got UTSA in San Antonio, which is a top 10. You've got Charlotte. You've got FAU, which is in uh, South uh, Florida. You've got all these different programs that are very Metroplex heavy, and you don't necessarily see that out in the West for the teams that are available. I mean, your best option, I mean, if we go, you know, like a Boise State, like Boise is definitely a growing city, but compared to where you're going to be able to have that kind of infrastructure, that kind of uh, build out uh, that, you know, the American wanted, it's not going to be on the same level as a New Orleans with Tulane or a Memphis with Memphis or any of these other programs that they've really targeted in this last wave of realignment. Uh, you know, now why they decided to target those cities, that's going to be the decision of those actual uh, conference leaders more so than myself. But I know that was a very specific strategy with this administration of who they wanted to target after they lost their Cincinnati's, after they lost their Houston's uh, and these other major programs from major cities. That was a huge uh, reason that they ended up going for those teams that they did. One thing that always struck me was how patient the Sun Belt has been over the years, only because, you know, back in 2015, when I started covering some of the Sun Belt Conference media days, their commissioner was always very adamant when he'd be asked about the relationship with ESPN in the sense that that was their TV partner. They weren't being paid a ton, so it wasn't, you know, a huge amount of money, but they had a very strong relationship with ESPN and he was like this is it we put all our eggs in this basket we feel like it's going to pay off in the long run and we're going to sit with it and it made them seem a little bit I wasn't sure if it was an Ivy it just seemed risky because it was all your eggs in one basket we even see obviously when you get into the huge conferences of course they can say like well our primary rights are with ESPN and and maybe some with Fox some with CBS whatever you know but it seems to have finally just really paid off for them. They made a couple of really wise moves. They were going to expand. And they did some, I thought, risky moves. Because when I started covering them, they had two football-only members. They had New Mexico State and they had uh, Idaho. And they booted them out while they were able to bring in, you know, uh, Coastal Carolina. And they they thought that was going to be enough to kind of create a, you know, a full program of 10 conferences. Because they went from 11 to 10. Um, but they, they at the time, that allowed them to have, in their opinion, kind of a full conference with all full members. And again, it seemed a little risky, but I, I absolutely am impressed by how that paid off in the long run. Because you're right, they of the G5s, they definitely seem to have won that last round of conference realignment by pulling in, you know, obviously you bring a strong name like James Madison from FCS, they've been, they've been overtures to them. For many years, Conference USA seemed to really want them to join. And then finally, they decided to move up. They were very deliberate about it. They built up their program. They built up their stadium. They built up their facilities. That's why they were able to land and have such a solid 8-3 and three season with a full FBS schedule. They only had like one FCS team. But they were also able to lure, you know, longtime G5 programs with a lot of success behind them, like Marshall, and, you know, pull in Old Dominion, pull in 
you know, programs that I, I think were surprising, like even Southern Miss, another strong program. I mean, a program with just strong history. I mean, if you've ever been to Hattiesburg, that campus, you know, it struck me. First of all, that stadium's way bigger than I think a lot of people realize, but I, it impressed me a lot. And American, I think, as JD, I think, put it best. I mean, first of all, there's only so much you can do in getting other programs. If anything, it seems like this you know, hungry, hungry hippos by the there's a trickle down kind of thing with the two largest FBS program, probably FBS conferences eating up so many becoming mega conferences of so many teams that the, the other three are forced to, to take on new members. So it really is just a vacuum that is hard to fight against. So they have to get kind of creative among the G5s and how they're going to expand and just keep a, a competitive number of teams and not sort of end up like some of the programs or some of the conferences you see in the smaller divisions where they'll have to like double up conference opponents and play twice a year in order to, uh, to, to get a full schedule. But I think that's a really interesting observation in all of that. I'm really curious to see how this plays out in the long run. And perhaps, I don't know who would be next to be pulled up. I mean, we're waiting. I think maybe the expanded playoffs slowed everything down at the beginning of the season. I think we we're all waiting for that next shoe to drop to sort of see who's going to be the next one to pull, you know, especially with that, you know, it seemed like an impending knife fight between the Pac-12 and Big 12, which could still happen. But, it, you know, it, it seemed like we were just waiting to see who, the, who was going to grab a team from who. But the, that expanded playoff essentially guaranteeing a lot of the spots to the, the conference champions may have put some ice on some of that and perhaps we'll see some calm there because if that ended up happening, we were going to have to see who was going to backfill some of the other P5s. But I don't know. This has been really interesting. I'm, I'm looking, I agree. Conference realignment has certainly been, it's funny how it's fallen into the background considering how much of it, you know, especially with that July, that late June, early July surprise of the USC and UCLA heading over there. Of course, UCLA kept the drama going with the UC system, wanting to pretend like they were going to, keep them. I, I, I was a full belief that if the UC regions had ever said, you know, no, we're not going to let UCLA go, they were still going to go and just have a lawsuit in the process. But instead, they're playing, they're paying, I mean, calimony to, you know, the Berkeley campus for their <laughs> for their departure. But anyway. So, hey, Dave, you've been patient. What's going on? Looks like we uh, okay. Actually, oh, there we go. No, you, I heard. I saw you on mute for a second there. Oh, might be having some problems with the mic. Monster. Yeah, can you guys hear me now? Oh, yes, I can. There we go. That was very odd. I don't know what what happened. That was odd, but I'll take it. Um, uh, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Um, I, you know, there was a big. Big national championship over the weekend, a celebration bowl. Dion's last game, he lost to North Carolina Central. Congrats to them, my rival school. So now the things are happening in the transfer portal. Jackson State lost a lot of players. Prior to the game, A&T's head coach, Sam Washington, they parted, and A&T parted ways. So right now A&T's looking for a new head coach, which was kind of shocking for a lot of the fan base there. So now, and and they spotted Stan Washington at the Celebration Bowl. So I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on, like, potential head coaching options for A&T. Um, where does Jackson State go from here with regards to 
what's going on in the portal. They've already lost over 35 players to the portal. How will that affect them from an APR standpoint? Because I think that's going to be a big concern as well. Just wanted to kind of throw a bunch of random things in the air. Yeah, so obviously, well, first of all, the celebration bowl got a lot better than I expected. I think we were all waiting to see, can the SWAC actually defeat the MEAC? Obviously, they didn't, but it was a lot better than you know last year, and, and certainly... <laughs> That drop, my goodness, that drop in overtime by the tight end, that just absolutely, that's one that he's never going to live down. I wonder if he's in the portal. Maybe not. No, he shouldn't sure. be in the portal, man. That Things happen, but but in my in, in my eyes, yeah. man, it shouldn't have came down to that anyway. Like, Central made a lot of mistakes at the beginning of the game because they had numerous opportunities to take that game out of it. And I felt like they could – and I felt like going into the game, if Central starts fast and get Jackson out of it, they would have tapped out anyway. Because a lot of those players were kind of like, our coach is leaving anyway. A lot of them were heading to the portal type of thing. So it was it was just more of a, I'm here type of thing. So I want to try you know, to Dave, actually, one thing I, you know, Dave, one thing I wanted to ask you, though, because, I mean, what, you we've had this conversation before. I'm surprised, or I, I don't know, Willie Simmons is still at, at Florida A&M. I thought he might be someone who was going to get poached. You, you got, I mean, when you brought him up, I thought that was... I think you were the first caller to ever bring up the fact, will someone go ahead and grab him? But, uh, you know, I'm, I, in a way, it's great for Florida A&M because he's been such a talent there that, that he stayed put so far. Yeah, I, and you know what? And the thing is, I know the South Florida folks was rooting for it. A lot of them were rooting for it. But at the same time, and now even with the whole abrupt uh, parting ways of Sam Washington at North Carolina A&T, there's some folks are asking about Willie Simmons and whether or not he's willing to come. And I'm like, he loves FAMU. He loves Tallahassee. It's going to take a lot to pull him. Like, he's got to be in, like, the perfect situation. And That's you know, good. He's from there. His family's from there. He was supposed to play there. And it didn't happen because around that same time, FAMU was trying to go division, was trying to go um, FBS. And they couldn't. And, 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 he was going to transfer and that, that couldn't happen at that point because we have to sit a year. Oh yeah. I remember that, that ill-fated attempt to, to move up. But um, yeah, now I got to admit, I haven't paid as close attention to who might go to North Carolina A&T because they've been, obviously they're strong problem because they're in the colonial next season. If I'm correct there, is that their first or am yeah. I, am I mixing that up? No, nope. yeah, so that's nope. they're they're gonna they've been they joined the colonial this year in every sport but football. Next season they'll be in colonial for football. Yeah, that's what I, I was trying to say. Football gonna, was next year. There's rumblings that they're gonna change the name of the conference. So we'll see how that goes. Excellent. You know, so gosh, I'm not sure who I mean they've got they certainly can win. I mean, we all know the whole story there and how many how they were dominating the celebration bowl. And sometimes I think to a little bit of disappointment they kind of wanted to also see how they'd stack up in the the fcs playoff but certainly you know it's been a little bit softer for them since they left uh left the miak and i'd be curious to see who they pull i mean what names have you been hearing oh i've heard they I, i've heard some names but there's nothing 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 solid right they they the defensive coordinator for william and mary there were some talks of maybe they try to get 
there's an assistant in North Carolina State that they were thinking about trying to get that. Uh, there's some names that's been coming out, but there's nothing like they've been hush hush. And because nowadays there's no beat writers anymore in Greensboro, like they used to have somebody on the beat, and that was like their gig was to follow the college schools, the college sports in the city. And the news and record there don't have the the, the local paper there doesn't have that anymore. So you kind of so the advantage goes to the colleges in the area because now they can keep hush hush. Yeah, so it's very hard to get like like legitimate data out of them to figure out what's going on, but. But the 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 parting ways of of the coach kind of happened pretty suddenly, so we're hoping that the, those guys and gals got a plan in their offices, and then we'll go from well, there and see what happens next. The good news, I think, for for fans at North Carolina A&T is they're in a strong conference. They're going to get attention, so that's going to make the job at least you know attractive to the right kind of coach. You know, it's not like. They, they've won before. They can win again. They're going to be in the Colonial Athletics, so they're going to get attention. You know, they're going to be stacking up against some tough teams, which will give them, again, that's that's what you want if you're trying to get your name out there. So hopefully they can find someone. There. You know, but going back to, to Jackson State, I know it's T.C. Taylor is the person they put up. That's a tough situation to be in. I think whoever followed Dion was going to be in the, that kind of situation. I admit 35 players entering the portal. Obviously, that doesn't mean they've left, but how many can he claw back? You know, it's going to be the question. And they're yeah. going to lose some. That's for sure. You know, there's some people that are just going to yeah, go. Like, so, so far, like, I mean, I'm, I've been trying to pay attention. Like, I can't keep track of how many players they've lost so far, but, like, when you got log snappers writing, doing no, doing the, the Instagram post saying that they're going ahead into the portal, you know it's getting rough. When you get into the point of the log snapper doing, doing Instagram posts, that's when you know the streets <laughs> are, are rough, right? Yeah. Like you know, so like, and I've been trying to pay attention to what's going on with A and T because Bashutin, uh, our, our running back, when he hit the portal, that's when things started getting flaky for me. I was like, oh, Tootin's hitting the portal. And then a few hours after Tootin hit the portal, and then they that was when the Sam Washington announcement happened. And we had, we just lost the recruit recruit the FAMU, too, because of it as well. Because they haven't really, like, told everybody what's going on. So we'll see what happens with that situation. But as for Jackson State, I, they're going to be fine. I just – I'm more concerned about the APR side of the fence for them. Because, yeah. you know, when you have so many of those transfers, their APR is going to get impacted unless there's a bunch of grad transfers, right? So that's the concern for them. Like, even with A&T, a lot of the kids that have transferred so far, about half of them graduated. So it's like, all right, it's not going to impact the APR that much. Like, Newton leaving is going to probably impact it a bit, but so far we've lost, I think right now the number's at seven players, which isn't that bad. Still not good, but it's not that bad. It's more bad about the, the players that we've lost because they're really good players. Because our best line, our best two linebackers hit the portal, our best running back, hit the, our best two running backs hit the portal. So it's about some of the players that we're losing. You know, just kind of one thing I want to know your thoughts on because losing Dion, you know, it seemed like eventually he would leave. I, I think a lot of people wondering will this season will be next season. He certainly had a very successful life, so isn't it a real pinch that he needs to, to necessarily leave unless it seems like an intriguing job to him? Clearly, Colorado was it. Although, again, my favorite part of that whole hiring process was the uh, AD at Colorado. Somebody asked him, like, oh, how have you guys budgeted this? It's like, well, we we, we haven't yet, but we, 
<laughs> which I love. That, that is the most blatantly open statement I've ever heard. Like, yeah, we haven't quite figured out how we're going to pay for him and his staff, but we'll figure it out. You know, <laughs> once it gets here, maybe he was hoping he'd, he'd loosen some some pockets among the alumni. But just the impact he's had to HBCU football, I I wasn't. I mean, I was a little skeptical at first, only because I'm like, well, how good can he actually coach? And then certainly this season he shut me up. Uh, and I think quite a few people, because you just don't you don't go that far. I mean, okay, yeah, the Celebration Bowl is a loss, but in overtime, and, you know, again, it was a better game than, than last year's. So I, I hope we see that continue, at least the interest that he built in a lot of these programs. Because those who know know that HBCU football always – you know, is the top of FCS attendance. I mean, not just, you know, season-wide attendance among teams, but also individual game attendance. I mean, you just can't beat the attendance figures you see at games, you know, like the Bayou Classic, like the Celebration Bowl, like so many of those major games that, that take place around the country. So I'm just glad he brought some national attention to it so it isn't kind of this thing where some fans, especially outside of that community, know about, but not really that many. Um, and I hope we continue to see that strength, uh, that, that, that attention that I think to some extent benefited a lot of programs up and down, you know, FBS, FCS, and uh, probably uh, uh, FCS, D2, as well as the, the programs that were in the, the traditional HBCU conferences and outside of it, because we've seen that growth, we've seen that 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 spread across, you know, more than where it was before, and it's just been such such a phenomenon to see. And I hope it continues because it's just it's wonderful to see, and it's wonderful to to have that. And I will see how it continues. I'm, it's a big question. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? So for me, when 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 the announcement came that Dion was going was going to go to Jackson State. In my heart of hearts, I was hoping he was going to stick around for a longer period of time because I've always felt like to to do the impact of sustainment that what he was trying to do for what he said he wanted to do, it was going to take longer than like the two to three year period that I anticipated that he was going to stay. Right. So, you know, it would have been great, but we know that college coaches don't really do that anymore. But at HBCUs, that tends to be a thing. Like when you have a successful coach, they tend to stay for a much longer period of time, right? Like, like a Nick Saban who's been at Alabama forever. But that that type of run doesn't happen as often in the FBS realm. But in HBCUs, if you got a winning program, that tends to be a thing. That tend, that still happens um, if you have a winning program. So, but. Uh, when you talk about the impact that he did for HBCUs, he did get more eyeballs on on it. Um, I think Jackson State benefited from it big time from the standpoint of exposure, situational awareness of some of the challenges that, that Jackson State and other HBCUs had, um, some of the things that he was trying to push to the public to let folks be aware. Um, but like you said, like you said earlier, man, like when it came to attendance, uh, the SWAC and the MEAC was always the lead dogs when it came to attendance. They always was near the top. And even some of the, the HBCUs that are not in the SWAC and the MEAC was near the top. North Carolina and T is always near the top. Tennessee State is always near the top when it came to, to um, attendance in FCS. 
So when you when you take all those things into account, it was great from that standpoint. Like the Celebration Bowl has been playing on ABC since the beginning. Bayou Classic, it was great to see that get back on NBC, which was long overdue. It should have never left NBC, but let's hope it stays on NBC, right? So I think like that was these are great things to see. Um for Jackson State as a whole, they're gonna I don't think they're gonna go twelve and oh. Nobody ever doubted that Dion couldn't coach. Um, but it's gonna be interesting to see how he does in Colorado. Wait a minute. Um, I doubted if Dion could coach. I'll be the first one to admit it. Huh? I seriously doubted Dion's skills when he came up to Jackson State. I still oh. doubt him now, even though he went 12 and 0. So forgive me for being the skeptic out of the crew here. <laughs> no, I. No, nah, I thought he could coach. Like, I thought he could coach, but it's just a matter of getting your guys, too. So, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how he does in Colorado, man, because, I mean. That's when it gets there. Now, he could he could get the people. He could sit there and flash a smile and get a talent level at the swag that some coaches couldn't match there. So, I saw that. That's where I, I, I was like, okay, he got his people. Okay, let it work. Let it die. He gets to Colorado. I want to see if he gets his people and still be able to compete against conference because he could still get his people and still be outclassed. Oh yeah, coach is gonna matter a little bit more in Colorado. It's gonna mm-hmm. matter more. And he's gonna mm-hmm. be in a he's gonna I mean he like I think once it's gonna get interesting once USC and UCLA heads out of the conference and how that framework's gonna look after that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'll be yeah. interesting. It'll be interesting to see then. Uh, but I will say, as a Carolina Panthers fan, I am rooting for him to beat the brakes off Nebraska um, <laughs> at the beginning of the season. Oh, I wow. like him to beat oh, the brakes, wow. the certifiable brakes out of Matt Rule and Nebraska, like certifiable brakes, certifiable. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, uh, they're already rivals to begin with. People forget, like, Nebraska's famous for being super nice fans. If you go there, they'll always applaud the opposing team. You know, they're always into that. But there's one team they truly have, a, you know, they're, they, you know, they have a, a long, respectful rivalry with Oklahoma and all of that. But, man, the, the, the vitriol between Colorado and Nebraska fans, this is just going to get magnified, no doubt, especially – yeah, when that when they play each other, mm, yeah, that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be something else. I'll tell you. I'm I'm looking for I'm looking for like I'm a, that must be TV for me because I, I need Colorado to be the breaks out of them, man. I really do. Uh, oh, that I has love to it. happen. It has to happen. <laughs> well, it's gonna be a fun game to watch. Yeah, for sure. Hey, JD, what do you think about that particular matchup? Oh, did we? <laughs> hey, by the way, I just want to welcome any of you out there who'd like to join us. Just hit request. We love hearing from you. We love hearing, talking about all levels of college football. Uh, got, oh, hey, JD's I, I got a mic monster. Hmm, yeah. I don't know if Doctor. I don't know if Doctor Cavill wants to hop up here. Doctor Keanu Cavill wants to hop up here, but he's like the, um, the HBCU king when it comes to this type of thing, man. That's he's been doing oh. it for way longer than me. So I don't know if he wants to come up here, but shout out to him. Well, I'll send him an invite to to speak. If he wants to come up, he can. He's always welcome. We love hearing from anybody who wants to talk. It's something we enjoy and and hearing different voices and and all sorts of thoughts. Oh, and it looks like, by the way, as I'm talking, Toledo pulled it off. There was a – that game got – the Boca Raton Bowl was kind of going on in the background, and 
Liberty got within two points, went for two, failed, and Toledo has defeated Liberty to go, you know, to, to there was 21-19. Toledo's going to go 8-5. and five. Liberty's going to fall to 8-4. and four. Actually, 8-5, pardon me. Toledo should be 9 in. Uh, I'm sorry, anyways. But anyways, that's a fourth loss in a row for Liberty. Of course, this time, I don't think Hugh Freeze was their coach. So just giving that one. A quick update on there. I know JD's run into a slight problem. I watched the system kick him off. We let him back on. That's something that we sounds dealt. like me. Oh yeah, no, no. Oh, when Dave, when you said that, when you said that, I was laughing because it's like Twitter spaces. We've run into every problem. And I'm not even talking like in the last few months. I mean, since we started these, there's always some kind of like weird surprise. But you know, looks like Mr. Cable, you've you've been able to make it up here. We'd love to hear from you or Doctor. Pardon me, Doctor Cable. Yeah, it's Doctor Cable. Um, Kenyatta Cavill, Cavill, sorry. That's fine. It, it happens. Uh, actually, it's one half of the family. It says Cavill and Cavill, so long-standing. Joke. Oh, yeah. My my name is Bob Akhairi. I hear you. <laughs> Let me tell you. I, I I actually die a little inside when I mispronounce some of these names because that's mine's been mispronounced so many times in my lifetime. Yeah. So, But anyways, welcome up. No problem at all. Thanks for the welcome. Just wanted to um, say thanks for the invite and um, glad that a little bit of HBCU sports talk what's going on always happy to hear and share some love with those that have some interest in um, hbcu football i think we had a tremendous season uh, obviously showcased by the celebration bowl uh, with a game that is uh, part of the ages uh, and congratulations goes out to north carolina central um, the eagles there for getting it done in that overtime game but uh, kudos for the talent and skill that was played in the game one of the things that fascinated fascinated me about that game was how much you saw the young talent actually uh, making plays throughout the game, freshmen and sophomore uh, talent, even some juniors that you don't traditionally see um, at many times in college football, obviously, usually stuff or classmen, particularly as of late when you have a lot of folks that are able to come back with uh, COVID years. And so you have six, seven-year type players, graduate student transfers, and in some cases, even eight-year players um, that we've seen over the last couple of years because of that COVID and redshirt year. But to see that young talent making plays, I think, was one of the things that stood out to me among several things in that matchup, particularly this year. Which, um, what is, what are your thoughts? I mean, we've talked about it a bit, and it's something that I know Dave gave his thoughts on, um, as well as... Uh, and I apologize, I don't know your name. I just was going by your username, the civilized choice. But what are your thoughts on the effect that Deion Sanders has had across the HBCU, you know, football spectrum? One of the things I came and provided an example on that I asked people to consider is um, you've seen folks remodel these cars, um, antique type of cars. And yes, you if they're done properly, you'll look on the outside and be like, oh, that's, that's really nice. What I think Dion was able to do is open the hood of this car. And a lot of people that just may have looked at the outside and thought it was kind of nice, after they took a glance because he opened up the hood and people saw um, the engine and understood that people had remade the car, if you would. And then they got a chance all of a sudden to look in the engine and so, oh, this is really nice. This is really clean. And so a lot of those things that already existed, 
but essentially what I think Dion did was open up the hood so folks could really look at the engine and realize that, oh, this is nice. There, there's some significance about that. And I think once it's been exposed, once the hood is up, um, I don't think that is something that is easy for folks just to shut it down. So I think people will continue to review, continue to look, and, and the access will be there. And the second part is the financial support, particularly with the new secondary television contract, is going to allow more money to be put in to the SWAC particular, and MEAC is coming up on a deal as well, which I believe will help with the continued growth of the league. And that's important. I mean, the MEAC particularly, I was a little concerned with the overall stability because obviously they lost a few teams, um, both those that went into non-HBCU conferences, but of course uh, they lost some to the SWAC as well. So I think this is going to be, I mean, I always wondered, I mean, it's one of those things where I think academics will be able to write about it, frankly, or those who, who study the game quite in detail just to see how much of an impact it's going to be in the long run as we see as, as years pass and to see how it goes. I mean, to, to echo what, um, what was being mentioned earlier, I'm really interested to see how Dion does with Colorado because that's a tough job. I was surprised he took that one because that, that seems like a tough job for just about anybody. Um, you got you know? to remember, remember, sir, you can only take what's being offered to you. That's it true. doesn't seem like he was getting that many offers. Yeah, and I wondered if time would help heal that or if people were still thinking of primetime academy. J.D., by the way, is your mic fixed? <laughs> I, mean, uh, I, I think I, it is. I think it is. Uh, oh, good. Okay, there you are. There All right. Go. Yeah, there no, no. Go. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, I was just going to be uh, in full agreement of you take the opportunities that are given to you. And I think one of the big things for Dion when he was leaving Jackson State was that was the very clear message that he gave to his players of, you know, he brought game day to Jackson, Mississippi. He brought such an elevated amount of attention to Jackson State and really got to show off so much talent at a school like that. And especially like, you know, when you had a celebration bowl that had breakout performances from guys like Kevin Coleman Jr. I mean, that 85-yard catch and run that he had uh, in that game was just phenomenal. Uh, but then when you look at what he did, I love that analogy of opening up the hood and kind of getting to see what the engine is inside. Uh, I mean, HBCU football has always had an incredible amount of history, an incredible amount of well-played football, but this really got it the attention that it needed in 2022, and I think a lot more people are excited now to know what else is offered at this level of football and the kind of celebration that you get to have at that level of football. There are so many young, strong talents at HBCU schools, and I'm very excited to see what they're continuing to do in the future. Uh, and even with Deion Sanders taking this Colorado job, it has left such an impact for not just Jackson State, but for your North Carolina Centrals, for your Gramblings, for all these other programs that are within those very specific and very special realms of football. I've absolutely loved seeing that grow and elevate, and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with all these coaches who are going to continue that legacy uh, and continue that excellence to make sure that there's a continued interest in that sport. Can I have one thing? Absolutely. Yes, please. 
He was like, I'm the only D2 NAIA guy around here. So uh, I'll speak up for Benedict College, Coach Barry, uh, the SIC champs, undefeated, number one seed in the South region. So great jobs to them as well. Virginia Union knocking off the defending national champions, Valdosta State early in the year. Getting in on earned credit, too. I want to compete, uh, commend the CIAA for competing this year and actually getting teams in by merit instead of, hey, they just there. So um, just wanted to highlight that before I let everything go. Uh, and, of course, um, y'all have a wonderful night. Yeah, you too. And, you know, we've had Chris Ferguson on. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a great writer on D2 football, especially on – CIAA and the SEAC, and we, we had him on, gosh, a couple months ago. So we talked a bit about it, and, yeah, I absolutely agree. Virginia Union, I I was ex- I was blown away by that the way they kind of launched into this season. And as you mentioned, you know, beat up LaValdosta State and did so well. Um, and, yeah, Benedict that made That running back they got, man. Jay yeah. DeMar was a special man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was, that he was, I mean. <laughs> He's special, man. Unbelievable. <laughs> And I'm from Columbia, South Carolina, so Benedict will always have a special place in my heart. So, See, Byers reminds me of an old teammate, and uh, uh, you might know him, Dave, uh, former Carolina's Panthers running back Fred Lane. Uh, yes, sir. He reminded me of him when I saw, like, bits and pieces of his uh, highlights because it was just a burst in his runs where you could see him separate from, you know, the best kids on the other team. It was like – yeah, there's something special about him. So I'm actually looking forward to him getting to the NFL because I, I'm like, okay, if he's doing that there, he got the flash there. Somehow, some way, he got the flash. He, he also he also reminds me of another Aggie. He reminds me of an Aggie, too, Tariq Cohen. The kid's good, man. Yeah, the kid's good. good. Well, we're slowly starting to get to our normal wrap-up time. I just wanted to offer up an opportunity if any of our guests who are up here right now want to give us some final thoughts we we'd love to hear from you jd you're included on this <laughs> but dave i saw you on his, his mic doesn't his mic doesn't work anymore oh yeah yeah he's been uh <laughs> he's been <laughs> that that darn mic monster man oh there you are there you yeah, are JD. we out here we out here <laughs> no, nah, this was fun. I'm glad I was able to cap, hop in, man, because it was a good weekend for HBCU football. The weekend's over. I mean, the HBCU football season's over. I just wanted to bring up the Celebration Bowl because, you know, it's pretty much the ultimate. It's the pretty much the HBCU mecca in, in, college, in HBCU sports now. I, I didn't get to go this year. I got to make sure I make a trip. You know, I joke about it because, you know, A&T can't play in it anymore, so we dubbed it the Aggie Invitational because we won four, but there's a lot. Of, I know there's a lot of Aggies there. I got phone calls about it, so but I'm going to try to make a conscious effort to get down there next year to Atlanta that weekend. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the, that's one of those games I've got circled that I want to eventually go to. That in the Bahamas. Board, yes. You know, <laughs> I, I do. As long as they're not on the same. I, I do want to throw one thing out there that I did also love from the Celebration Bowl. We haven't had a chance to uh, talk about it. You know, uh, when you get your wins, post your wins and talk that talk. I loved Trey Oliver's post-game press conference when he straight up was saying, you know, uh, did Colorado get the right guy? If you need to talk, I'll get you the number for my agent. Absolutely my love man that. Said, my, man, my man said, I could have done it for half the price. I oh. God, when he said that. 
He said, how could I? So the ink ain't dry yeah, yet. Man. Oh, I was done. I was done. And I'm a, and like, I'm, I'm congratulating Central. They're our rival school. I'm happy for them. But I got to quit giving them too much of this happiness. Because I got to get back to my regularly scheduled program very, very soon. Because this has been a tough week for Aggies right now. We lost a coach. Central won a celebration. But it's been a very rough week. So I got to, I got to, I got to. I got. I, I'm happy for him because you know, you know, I'm still about to be at winning this thing. But it's 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 this has been tough between that SC State winning it last year, tough, very tough. But you know, I digress. But nah, Trey, Trey can talk it, man. Trey was a, an assistant for us at A&T when we won the first one, so so I'm, <laughs> I'm happy for him and the rest of that coaching staff and the team because Richards, a, Richards is a Richards is the real deal. He's probably going to be in the league too. Davis Richard, he's going to probably be in the league. I think. Absolutely. Thanks, Dave. Doctor, do you have any final thoughts? No, Dave has me cracking up uh, (laughs) with his comments. But, yeah, if you know anything about Trey Oliver, um, he's cut his teeth throughout the sweat um, as well as the MEAC, obviously, getting it done, previously uh, being the defensive coordinator at Southern and Grambling. So a lot of folks had a great deal of respect for what he brought to the table. And, um, I think a lot of folks quietly that were involved with HBCU sports understood that this would be a very classic matchup. Um, and so I'm just glad to continue to, uh, to look at football. I've been at the Celebration Bowl every year since it started. Don't plan to miss it. It's become uh, the mecca for HBCU sports fans because not only do you get the uniqueness of both teams coming very deep, you have a lot of HBCU fans that just – like the culture and understand what this opportunity means to uh, HBCU sports. So whether it's at the Division II level um, with CIAA and SIEC fans that uh, was referenced earlier or MEAC and SWAC fans or even some of the fans that are no longer associated with uh, HBCU conference, if you would, uh, from Tennessee State, North Carolina A&T, Hampton fans. You've seen them all out there just mixing and mingling. So it's a great event. So folks want to see a different cultural perspective of what that looks like in football from the bands, uh, good football being played, and just a social gathering of folks really reveling in the history. It's a great place to be. I got a chance. uh, You talked to Bahama Bowl. I do want to get to that. But uh, they had a classic called HBCUX Classic. Uh, Seems like about 10 years now ago. Uh, with Central State playing Texas Southern, I got to go to that game that was held in Bahamas. So I agree with you. Any reason to get to the Bahamas uh, is perfect. And then you throw in some football with it, it doesn't get much better than that. So, yeah, if we can find a way that those games don't coexist on the same weekend, I might meet you down there in the Bahamas for that game as well. <laughs> I'd love to. That would be great. We all hang out. And I love every time I hear a report about what it's like at that game, it's like, yeah, just show up, show anything that looks vaguely like a ticket, bring beer. They don't care. They'll just let you in. It's 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 a different mindset. Exactly. It's an awesome yep. mindset. <laughs> and bring drums when joining with the junkanoo. You really have a good time. <laughs> well, I think we're starting to wrap up. I've heard whoa, did I is that true? Sorry, I just had a headline show up on my uh on my screen, did JT Daniels decide to do Rice? Is that what I'm reading? Oh, my gosh. JT Daniels to Rice. Wow, that's, yeah, that is. Yeah, Pete Thamel. Yeah, I see that right now. He's he's reporting that. So JT Daniels, the uh, 
quarterback who's been everywhere, who started at USC. I can't remember if he's the guy who actually has a USC tattoo. Was at Georgia last season and uh, backing up a national championship team. Went to West Virginia this season and is now going to be playing at Rice. So that's that's the big news story that popped up just on our feed right now. So that'll be something kind of uh, interesting um, to to report right now. And one last thing, uh, the civilized choice. Did you want to also have just a final statement? I just saw you you unmuted. Well, they they've uh, said their little celebration bowl uh, perspective. Mine is. This is my second year going, and both years it was kind of like a diagnostic game for me because I have a couple of coaching friends that you normally attend with, and we just watch, you know, the best teams in HBCU go at it. So, you know, for us, it's more of a, you know, football day, you know, celebrate the best, you know, things that we aspired to when we were playing. You know, seeing the new kids out there carrying on our traditions, you know, coming out the tunnel, you know, seeing the bros, seeing the uh, alpha, you know, everybody being out. You know, it's like uh, Doc said, it's just like a HBCU Mecca game. You know, I, I saw a couple of old uh, classmates there. I got a chance to catch up with them. And, you know, it's kind of like a reunion. And you get to talk a lot of stuff. So, hey. <laughs> but. Thank you for having me on, and I thoroughly enjoyed myself tonight. Thank you again. Uh, I'm so glad to hear that. And thanks to, to all three of you guys up here. Thanks to everyone who joined us earlier. We learned a lot. We talked a lot about HBCU football right now, about JT Daniels heading to Rice. And obviously, we got to talk about how that, uh, that Boca Raton Bowl got close. We've got a lot, a lot of bowls coming up soon. I mean, we talked about the celebration and the other bowls so far. But tomorrow night, you know, New Orleans Bowl, it's always a good one. They got Western Kentucky against South Alabama, who they got the least amount of attention, I think, for a 10-win team. And I think those fans of the Jags are really thrilled because Kane Womack is, I'm surprised he did not get poached this season. And if he comes even close to the level he did, and especially, I mean, he has a chance to go 11-2 and this season. I think that's he's going to be one of those those big names we see getting poached in the next coaching cycle. But anyways, I know JD had a bounce, but my name's Bob Ekhaeri. I was joined by my regular co-host JD Moore. We love to do these on Tuesday nights. We always do these. Love to hear from you. I just want to say how much we enjoy hearing from you, and and we hope you're all having good holidays and you know get a break to to relax and take a rest at some point or another. Or you're stuck with your kids at home now more than ever, uh, which <laughs> some of us are right now. Anyway, I hope all of you are great. Thanks for joining us. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.